0: Let us turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, that's page 1267, and most if not all of the Blue ASV Bibles under the seats, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I will read the whole chapter. We did look at verses uh, 1 to 12 last Sunday for those who were here. And we will now be focused on verses 13 to 18. But the whole chapter is tied together and so we'll read 2 Timothy chapter 1 all of the 18 verses 2 Timothy 1. We begin our reading at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So far, the reading, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, life is full of patterns. Some of them we call patterns, some of them we we typically give another name to them. And so, uh, for example, there is a sewing pattern and that's usually called a pattern. But there's also a pattern to a basketball play and we usually call that a play. There's also a pattern to planting a field, even though uh, we don't always use that word when we, when we see the, the rose and the planting and the work that goes into that. And there are so many kinds of patterns that we see all around us. Indeed, we can, we can think about our speech every day. What is it? It's a pattern of words. We don't just speak words randomly. We put them together in patterns. That's how our words Make meaning and meaningful sentences. And that's what our first point will be about the word pattern in the church. And then again, there are many patterns in life. There is a pattern to how we decide who we will trust. Uh, maybe uh, there's a very shallow person and their pattern for deciding who to trust is fully determined by whoever the most popular person is. And so their pattern throughout life is to, to trust the most popular person in high school and then the most popular person at work and so on. Their pattern of trust goes in their life. Well, in the church we are called to have a more discerning pattern of trust than this. And that is our second point, the trust pattern in the church. And then beyond this, we can also speak about service patterns. When we think about acts of service, when we think about service that we would do, what is is your pattern for deciding what service you will do, what service you will not do in your life? And then also what is your attitude as you choose uh, the, the pattern of service opportunities to do or not do? That's our third point, the service pattern. In the church, and for all of this, uh, brothers and sisters, there must be a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Uh, we do not just haphazardly choose whom to trust. We seek to be guided by the Holy Spirit, and we seek to trust those who are showing fruits of the Holy Spirit, and so on, and. And we continue, and so all throughout, we're considering the Holy Spirit. Our theme this morning is this, by the Holy Spirit, be faithful church members. And we look first at that word pattern. What is the word pattern that we are called to have as a faithful church, as faithful church members together? The word pattern in the church. And here is the place where we see the word pattern in our text right there at the beginning. Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. Brothers and sisters, as we think about word patterns, as we think about our word patterns, as we put our sentences together from one day to another, we know, we know how important those patterns are for for so many sentences there's just a single word that completely changes what it means a single word like no or a single word like not and so if you're you know speaking sentences and your word patterns throughout the course of this coming week you know someone might say i do like hawaiian pizza and someone might say i do not like Hawaiian pizza. And those are completely opposite ways of speaking. Those are completely opposite patterns of speech. But then, of course, if we're speaking about Hawaiian pizza, it's not something that really matters that much. It's not a very consequential pattern of speech. The only thing that will impact is your diet once in a while, your menu once in a while. There are other patterns of speech brothers and sisters, which we know have eternal consequences. There is such a chasm of difference between the sentence, I do believe in Jesus Christ, and the sentence, I do not believe in Jesus Christ. And so what are our word patterns? What are our word patterns individually? What are our word patterns in the church? Paul, the apostle, has faithfully preached the gospel pattern. And so he tells Timothy to preach the same gospel. Not because they are Paul's words, but because they are are Paul's words which are from Christ and about Christ. Look at, look at all the references to Jesus Christ and what Jesus has accomplished in verse 10 and 11 and 12 leading up to that command in verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. Follow the pattern. Follow the pattern of the Gospel. Follow the faithful word patterns of how to speak about Jesus Christ and what He has done. Of How to speak about God and salvation that we have from God. There are are some three-word patterns to summarize the gospel. We looked at one already, sin, salvation, service. We talked about that a little bit for our assurance of pardon. What's another three-word faithful pattern that summarizes these essential things? Another three-word pattern is this, creation, fall, redemption. God created this world and God created it very good there was no sin there was no death there was no suffering but then there was the fall our first parents Adam and Eve fell into sin and dragged all of this creation and all of their descendants which includes all of us into that sin and that sin nature and this sin cursed earth but there is redemption There is the one who came from heaven to earth in order to save everyone on this earth who trusts in him and ultimately to redeem this earth back to Edenic beauty, back to a very good state. Indeed, it will be even better than Eden as some have said it. Creation, fall, redemption. That is a faithful pattern of words that is a pattern of words that should be in the teaching of the church that should be in the hearts of every church member the pattern of sound words in the church must include some of the basics about who God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit Consider, brothers and sisters, how countercultural we are nearly every Sunday evening when I ask the question, What do you believe? and we say together the Apostles' Creed. That is a countercultural pattern of words that we confess together about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Consider uh, also that the pattern of sound words, to be faithful, it must say something about sin, whether that's sin, salvation, service, or creation, fall, the fall into sin, and redemption. It must say something about sin and something about what sin is. We are surrounded right now by very loud and completely unfaithful patterns of words about what sin is or is not. And so we must stand against unfaithful patterns. We are to hold to the sound, healthy, true pattern of words that God has given to us. He has revealed to us His word from Genesis to Revelation. This must not be lost. The essence of the Gospel is the same from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Looking back at verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. God has always been revealing Himself to His people. And certainly now the Gospel so plainly revealed through Jesus Christ. Again, Christ mentioned 9 and 10 and 11, all, all leading up to all leading up to that charge that the Apostle gives to Timothy. My faithful teaching in Christ must be your faithful teaching. How is this possible? We understand, looking at verse 14, that this is only possible when we rely upon the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And let us hear one more thing before we go to our second point. That as critical as a true pattern of words is, the true pattern of words is not enough by itself. We have to believe that pattern of words. And we have to live out that pattern of words in love, love for God, love for our neighbor. And so we see that also at the end of verse 13. How is this pattern of sound words trusted to Timothy? In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And so this leads to all kinds of questions for us to consider. Do you know the pattern of sound words? Do you confess the pattern of sound words? Do you believe the pattern of sound words? That you are a sinner, that you are saved by God. And then do you serve, live out from that pattern of words? Do you love? God and your neighbor. Well, brothers and sisters, there must be this pattern of sound words. It must be believed and it must be lived according to the love that God calls us to. And then we can speak also of the trust pattern in the church. This is our second point. It won't be as long as our first point again the emphasis on the holy spirit is critical why does paul trust timothy and paul does trust timothy we could think also of how the apostle paul speaks about timothy in philippians chapter 2 verses 19 and 20 The church in Philippi is is going through uh, some level of of turmoil and and distrust and those kinds of things. And who is the agent? Who is the uh, faithful leader who is sent to the church in Philippi? It is Timothy. And the way Paul says it there of Timothy in Philippians 2 verse 20 is this, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely, genuinely concerned for your welfare. So Paul... Trusts Timothy, but why? It is not because Paul says to Timothy, "I know you're just really good at being yourself, and that inner light. It just you're just you just overflow with with genuine kindness for other people. No, no." The Apostle Paul trusts Timothy because the Apostle Paul trusts Timothy to not be himself. The Apostle Paul trusts Timothy to be filled, verse 14, with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul trusts Timothy to not be guided by his own reasoning, to not be guided by his own interests, but to be looking to Christ who gave himself up for us And then from Christ, speaking Christ-sound pattern of words and loving others in that Christ-like pattern of putting others before self. The Apostle Paul trusts Timothy because Timothy is a man, we can go back also to the language of verse 5, a man of sincere faith. I am reminded, verse 5, of your sincere faith. And so, Paul, in human terms, is very confident in Timothy, but not because of Timothy himself, because of the reality that Timothy trusts in Jesus Christ, verse 5, because Timothy has received special gifts of ministry from God the Father, verse 7, and because Timothy is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, verse 14. And brothers and sisters, this should be our trust pattern. Who do you trust? Who do you listen to? Who do you go to when you are facing difficult questions? Do you go to believers who love God who love to speak the patterns of words that have come to us from God in His Scripture. you trust people who are demonstrating the fruits of the Holy Spirit in the name of God the Father? Not just not just some some kindness, but kindness in the name of God for service to God. That's that's our focus tonight. Do you trust people who will pray for you in God's name? That's that's a that's a big part of chapter one that we're kind of skipping over. It is very plain that the Apostle Paul prays for fellow believers. This should be our trust pattern. Now there are there are some who have broken trust with the Apostle Paul. Uh, He even specifically names two men at the end of verse 15. Phygelus and Hermogenes. And in some way they have broken trust with the Apostle Paul. We do not have all the details. It is one of those places where Timothy knew exactly what they did uh, but we do not. Among a handful of guesses contrasted with Onesiphorus and what Onesiphorus did, uh, one of the handful of guesses is that these were church leaders in Ephesus and uh, maybe the Apostle Paul asked them to come to Rome to stand up for him in his trial or even just to minister to him as Onesiphorus did and, and they did not come. But we, we don't have the details. We don't know exactly what it was but again it's it's likely some kind of contrast with anesaphores and we'll we'll get to him in our third point but just thinking in that terms of contrast anesaphores was verse 16 the end of verse 16 not ashamed of my chains so it is likely that in some way in some form in some kind of abandonment not coming to rome not helping paul in rome not helping him in his chains they were ashamed of paul's situation they saw or heard about his chains and said, no, I, I can't help Paul. Not in that situation. And so it is not the same as the names given in chapter two, which are different names. And the context there is false teaching, rejecting Jesus Christ. It's just a context of these are false teachers you must look out for. It may be that phygellus and Hermogenes are are still believers, but they're they're not willing to stand up for the faith as they should be. They're not willing to serve fellow believers the way they should be. And it's so severe, they can even be singled out and named in this way. And so here, brothers and sisters, we can step back and we can ask the question, Broadly, symbolically, are you ever ashamed of the chains? Are you ever ashamed of the difficult situation of another believer? And you hear something about the difficulty that somebody's facing, and maybe you you listen a little bit at first, but inside you're thinking, "Well, I just can't. This is too much for me. Uh, I can't. I can't help this." Brother, I can't help the sister. Are you ever ashamed of the chains of another believer and unwilling to stand with them, pray with them, help them, refresh them? Well, We come into part three. The Apostle Paul does not dwell on that unfaithful example. and Indeed, again, he gives he doesn't give any details. We we're only left to guess in contrast as to Onesiphorus what it was. But he does dwell on a faithful example. And that's our third point, the service pattern of Onesiphorus given to us by the Apostle Paul. This is our third point this morning. Now, for a moment, brothers and sisters, I want to step back and get the bigger picture. Uh, The the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, a huge portion of it is, is, uh, is detailed out for us in the holy record of God's word. Acts chapter 13 to Acts chapter 28 goes through the first missionary journey of Paul, the second missionary journey of Paul, the third missionary journey of Paul, and then his coming to Rome and becoming a prisoner of Rome. And he's appealing to Caesar and maybe maybe you remember uh, some of those uh, appeals and trials and things and Paul uh, going to Rome. And that's all all detailed out for us in Acts 13 to 28. That's a big portion of the Apostle Paul's life. And then we read about that imprisonment in the last especially in the last two verses of the book of acts and it's kind of a it's kind of a cushy imprisonment it's a house arrest the language of acts 28 verse 31 is that paul has no hindrances yes he's under house arrest he's 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 bound to one place but he's still able to to receive visitors freely and he's able to preach and to teach And to do all of these things. And then the book of Acts ends. Well, that's not the end of of the Apostle Paul's life. We don't have the historical record taking us from one place to another once the book of Acts ends, but we have letters written by Paul after the end of the book of Acts. And we can piece together what the rest of the Apostle Paul's life looked like. And... What happened is he was freed from that first imprisonment. He probably went on another missionary journey or two. Again, we don't don't have the details in the same way. The ancient church said that the Apostle Paul went to Spain during that time and on at least one more missionary journey. And then the Apostle Paul was imprisoned again 2 Timothy is the last letter, almost certainly the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in his life. And it is the only letter that the Apostle Paul wrote during that second imprisonment. And it is much different from the first imprisonment. This is not the Acts 28, somewhat cushy house arrest. Anymore. Paul is now in chains, verse 16. Probably literal chains. Paul no longer expects release in, in Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Paul writes about how he's in prison and he expects to get out of prison. That was his first imprisonment. Paul does not expect release anymore. He expects to die. There's only one prison from first century Rome which is still standing today, which even one, that's quite a 2,000 plus year old prison. And whether the Apostle Paul was there or not, it gives us an idea of the kind of cruelty that one could have under Roman imprisonment if you were no longer being treated as a Roman citizen with with some uh, advantages and placed under house arrest and such as the Apostle Paul was in his first imprisonment. And so, stay with me. We're, we're getting to we're getting to why the service of an was 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 so needed and such a refreshment to Paul. The only prison still standing from first century Rome, it's uh, you it's essentially a guard room, and you go into the guard room, and then in the middle of the guard room there's a there's a little there's a little circle, and it's smaller than a manhole but big enough to put a man down into, and under that. Hole is the prison. And that's where the prisoners were dropped. And then the prison was literally that that pit in, in the ground. The Apostle Paul may or may not have been in that prison. Maybe it was in a different one that actually required literal chains. But 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 the point is it speaks to the cruelty of Roman imprisonment, especially for one who's awaiting execution under Nero. And so now in this second imprisonment where the intensity of persecution has ramped up and where Nero is making an example of the Apostle Paul through this much different, much more cruel and ending in execution, imprisonment. Into this context, what do we read? Verse 16, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Indeed, remember in Acts 28, Paul could easily receive visitors. What's the picture here? The picture here is that is that it's difficult to even find Paul. Verse 17, But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. And the picture we should have is searching through the dark dungeons of Rome and finding the Apostle Paul in chains and ready to die. And it's into that context that Onesiphorus comes and refreshes and encourages and visits with the aging apostle, not ashamed of his chains. And then, the end of verse 18, it says, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. What is the picture there, brothers and sisters? What if somebody says, if we have to face a time of severe persecution in the church in the United States, I'll be willing to go to the dark dungeons and visit with the Christians in chains. But before that happens, I'm not sure if I'm willing to step to the other side of the room and talk with that believer who's standing over there. I'll be willing to go and and refresh the one in chains when we face intense persecution, but I'm not sure if I'm ready to serve my brother or sister sitting in front of me or behind me that does not make any sense. And the picture that we have of Anesiphorus is that he has done the long travel, he has searched the dark dungeons, he has rendered a special loving service to the aging, ready to die Apostle Paul. But this was not the first time he was ready to serve God's people. You know well all that he did while he was in Ephesus. If you say, I'm ready to search the dark dungeons. Oh, good. I, I, I hope you are. Because there will be times when, I, again, the, the context of Phygelus and Hermogenes, it's not that they abandon the faith. I mean, there there will be, maybe maybe we can have some sympathy for them maybe not every believer is going to be able to search the dark dungeons of rome but before that happens what are you what are you willing to do today who do you who do you speak to who do you pray for who do you worship with in this time when, to use the language of 1 Timothy, we, uh, we, we have a peaceful and quiet life. And we can gather together and worship without chains. I don't see any chains here. The service pattern in the church starts in times of peace. And it starts in the place where you're from. As Onesiphorus started his service in Ephesus and again the, the context in the New Testament letters again and again it's the church, the church, the church or sometimes a specific member or the minister of the church who receives a letter. It's a We could say especially in the church but he may have been a servant in, in many ways for Ephesus. He may have served his neighbors as well. He's probably speaking especially about his service here to the church in Ephesus. What is our service pattern, people of God? We are sinners. We are saved by Jesus Christ. He has done everything for us. And we can speak about that personally. I know whom I have believed. We can speak about that corporately. The church as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ for which Christ died. We are sinners. We are saved. How will... how will we serve. Praise the Lord for what He has done for us. Praise the Lord who did not just descend into the dark dungeons of Rome, but descended into the punishment of hell so that we are saved from our sins when we trust in Him. Oh, it all begins with Jesus Christ. And then let us go forth as His servants from there. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, God, Almighty, we pray that you would keep us in a peaceful and quiet state, away from dungeons, but Lord, we pray that we would have courage to face dungeons and to minister in dungeons. And we pray, O Lord, that we would serve you now and that it would be known well how we...